This podcast is rated E for explicit. The subject of toxic masculinity has been talked about more and more in recent years, as is evident by this piece recently aired on NBC News. Rather than a question about just their friendships, which is how they heard it when they were 13 or 14. No homo was used a lot among my straight friends. Because of we don't want to seem as if we're being uh, gay towards each other or saying gay terms. That reveals the culture because the fact they're equating friendship with gayness is a part of American culture of masculinity. Somehow to be a boy, to be grow into a man, you have to be emotionless. You met me in the midst of many things. Shedding skin, sprouting wings, looking at life as a spiritual being through a human lens, having conversations with God about so many things. This show is your invitation. The Poet God is the conversation. One of the things I envisioned in creating this podcast was to create a space where I could have conversations with men from different walks of life about subjects that may be sensitive or difficult to talk about at times. Because I know it is true that men share some of the same challenges that women do, which is why I'm calling this series Men Too. And to kick off this series, I'm joined by Aman, a member of the board, who joins me for a rather interesting conversation about toxic masculinity and how it affects our ability to connect with each other. So we had what I thought was a wonderful conversation a few weeks ago. Um, And one of the things that stuck with me from that conversation was when you were talking to me about what expectations have been placed on you as a man and more specifically a black man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I just wanted to applaud you for bringing this to the forefront. I think it's really important to have conversations about things that make us uncomfortable and it's especially dissecting why it's uncomfortable, you know, instead of just letting it be at the surface level of, I don't want to talk about that because it makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We're kind of asking that question of why. Right. Uh, and I think for me, the background is less about, you know, what my parents or family members uh, may have placed on me from an expectation standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of a societal thing and kind of realizing that growing up in certain uh, circumstances, specifically here in America, you know, we are fed, hand fed in a lot of ways everywhere we turn a, a very formulaic approach to way things should be from a successful standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that be kind of what I talked about going from when you're very young, it's about, you know, going to school and, and, and being successful in school and mm-hmm. making friends in school, uh, getting good grades, um, becoming 
you know, whether it's a male or female, we kind of have these different avenues that they push us towards. For for a lot of boys, young boys, it's mm-hmm. these sports avenues. Right. It's uh, basketball. It's football. It's right. soccer. Uh, it's not ballet. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's not dance. It's definitely um, not ballet. And I mean, I can recall, you know, friends of mine, you know, two, two, two brothers, you mm-hmm. know, they grew up, uh, you know, probably I would say mid to low income housing. Um, very, very different. One of them ended up being an incredible dancer and really? uh, ended up going to Alvin Ailey. And the other one was a, an incredible basketball player. Mm. Uh, and I would say that neither of them necessarily found the inspiration necessarily from a school standpoint. But they were able to express themselves in different ways. And I can only imagine the dichotomy of what they went through, um, you know, especially with the older brother kind of being this amazing, incredible dancer right. during a time frame where dancing really wasn't promoted for young black men. Wow. Uh, yeah. And the younger brother kind of seeing that and recognizing that that wasn't who he was necessarily, but mm-hmm. he had to deal with that. And did he ne- did he kind of absorb that experience and become... Um, you know, put up a bigger bravado when he was in the so-called streets. He had to deal with people knowing that his brother was a dancer. <clears throat> well, not even just knowing it, but okay. using that as um, you know, ammunition. You okay. know, to okay. to put him down right. or to you know use as kind of like a push point, a push button point. Right. Uh, whether or not you know, I don't know how I I wouldn't be able to talk about the intricacies of their closeness right. as as brothers, but. I'm sure it put a strain on him in the sense of, you know, he obviously recognized that was his brother. He loved his brother, but, mm-hmm. you know, societal pressures kind of put some kind of expectation of him on him. Like, oh, are you going to be a dancer like your brother? Are you soft? Are you this? Are you that? And it may have shaped him into something that, you know, he wasn't necessarily destined to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think in general, I don't, I do look at my own experiences, but more than anything, you know, I just kind of look around and as I've gotten older, I've, I've really t- taken a step back and I, and questioned like, why, why do we have these kind of pressures on us? Why do we place them on us? Why, why do I get questions at work about, you know, who I'm dating and if I want to get married and if I want to have kids and all of these things when my experience tells me from my friends and from, you know, even some of my family members that, it isn't as simple as, you know, you're, you go and find somebody that you love, mm-hmm. uh, you enjoy that close-knit relationship, mm-hmm. you get married, you have kids, and all of a sudden you're supposed to be happy for the rest of your life. Voila! <laughs> you know, you know right. uh, it's not, it's something that it's, it's, it's a kind of a broken in the sense that, you know, we've talked about this as well, like right. people are flawed, and to assume that you can take individual people who are flawed and put them together and all of a sudden you have a perfect molded situation and experience. It takes constant work. It takes that sacrifice. It takes the compromise. And not to say like I am against that, right. but I think it's a major assumption to assume that that is the only path towards happiness. You know, I think you can still become a fulfilled person with great connections and it doesn't necessarily have to be a marriage. It doesn't have to be, you have to have kids or whatever it may be. Like you shouldn't feel um, like a so-called failure or you're behind in life because you haven't accomplished these particular things uh, by a certain age, age, you know, Mm -hmm. basically. You know, as you're saying that, I'm wondering, have you experienced uh, dating and dating um, uh, a young lady who has that mindset that you can tell that from the time she was a little girl, 
uh, she was thinking about this fairy tale, you yeah. know, these ideals <clears throat> that she may have gotten from her parents or whomever yeah. about this is what, you know, you should expect. And uh, and some of it, I'm sure, uh, that whole fantasy is reinforced by the movies, you know, mm-hmm. the romantic comedies, you know, that whole thing. But in reality, does it make it difficult or more difficult in dating situations? Or even if it's not a dating situation, it's just you're interacting with somebody who you may like and it's just a social, casual thing. But still, because this is how they think, it comes into play on some level in terms of them them interacting with a man they may have some level of interest in. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a big, you know... The most important piece is those outside influences and like that kind of programming, so to speak, mm-hmm. whether it's on TV or it's on, you know, a parent or a loved one kind right. of telling you like, you know, these are the things you need to be looking for. And this is, you know, this is what you what you should have in mm-hmm. order to be fulfilled and happy. And I think it as especially as you know, people get older, men or women, regardless, mm-hmm. like they tend to look at their past experiences and yes, there was some good and yes, there was some bad, but at the end of the day, those experiences ended and dwindled at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And the more that happens, I feel like whether we want to admit it or not, we start to, we start to allow that internal pressure to build within us to, Oh wow. Now I'm, you know, 30, now I'm 32, now I'm 35. And I haven't found that person and I haven't built that kind of close knit, relationship to the point where I could get married or I could start a family. Mm-hmm. And I think also for women, it's tough. Like the ones that uh, that would want to have their own children, you know, scientifically, it becomes tougher as you get older. So right. that, there's right. a natural pressure within that mm-hmm. that shouldn't be ignored. Right. Um, but I think for me, you know, I think I do tend to, to raise red flags when I hear those kind of um, subtle reminders really early on in interactions about you know, that like, I'm not here to play games or oh, I, I want, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking to settle down. Hmm. Uh, and I don't think expectations are a bad thing necessarily, but I do believe that expectations can kind of trick us into believing things are not what they actually are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it allows us to make um, sacrifices about our true identities and what, what we what really is a good companion for ourselves because early on you're trying to kind of create this uh, impression that you're able to fulfill, you know, what is expected of you based on that person's expectations, which are a lot of ways built through those programmings, through those experiences. So I kind of feel like you're uh, like, they're prematurely trying to cross T's and dot I's when the words don't have any T's or I's in them. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Right. I mean, I think that's exactly the the way that, that I think um, I understand it as well. And it's like, I think people get taken back when, you know, when I, when, especially within a dating realm, like they, if I don't immediately say like, I, I want this X, Y, and Z, because mm-hmm. one of the things I've realized in through past experiences, I had that mindset. I had the mindset of, well, I, want, I really want to settle down. I want this companionship. I do want family. I don't, you know, whatever, whatever realm that may be. Does mm-hmm. that mean one kid, two kids, three kids? Who knows? I mean, right. when I was younger, 20, I mean, I was like, man, I want to have five kids. But, oh, really? you know, when I, <laughs> when I, when I saw like the amount of work, 
it took to raise one kid with people that I really care about and love. I was like, oh my gosh, how could you even go beyond one of these crazy <laughs> things? Like, and be, and I also take it seriously in the sense of, you know, I don't just like I mean, it's a kind of a weird analogy, but I love dogs. Like I'm a right. big dog person, and right. I would love to have a dog, but knowing that my schedule the way that it is right now from a work standpoint and I love to travel, Mm -hmm. would it really be fair to that dog to bring a dog into my life that I wouldn't be able to spend the time with that I want to spend with them. And I don't, I don't feel comfortable just paying somebody to, to raise my dog. Right. So not that dogs and kids are the same thing, but but, more so like, you know, you want to, if if I'm going to have a kid, like I want to be all the way there. I want to be, I want to set them up for success. I want them to feel love. I want them to, to 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 understand that stuff, especially at such a young impressionable age, because I mean, there's plenty of studies out there that showcase you know those kids that don't have that kind of support mm-hmm. when they're growing up, whether it be from one parent or both parents or no parents, um, they tend to develop issues uh, with connectivity amongst other individuals that you know end up causing other issues to societal things. So right, we'll be right back after these messages. I am so excited to be a part of the wonderful world of podcasts. And to celebrate, I'm giving away a copy of my book, Lies I Never Quite Believed, which averages five stars on Amazon and iBooks. Now, a drawing will be held after each episode of season one. All you have to do to enter is subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you happen to be listening on. And then send me a screenshot at poetgodmail at gmail.com. That's poetgodmail at gmail.com. This giveaway is only eligible for listeners living in the United States of America. Before we sat down for this conversation, both Aman and I listened to an episode of Hidden Brain called The Lonely American Male, and we pick up the conversation as we share our thoughts on that. I want to get back a little bit to what we kind of touched on earlier about how these traditional ideas of what it means to be a man can handicap us from Mm -hmm. connecting with each other. Um, not just as friends, um, you know, with your male uh, counterparts, but also in, in relationships, you know, that are more um, romantic. We uh, both actually listened to this episode of Hidden Brain uh, before we started talking. And, and I wanted you to listen to it because when I initially listened to it, I remember talking to a couple of friends of mine's about it. Um, it was an episode called The Lonely American Male. And it really, really hit home because I could think about so many um, uh, men in my life, older, um, younger, who show a lot of the signs of just not being happy, just not um, being able to uh, connect with other people. Yeah. Um, and it's just really, really sad because 
uh, a lot of a lot of times they don't have the um, the language to articulate those feelings as such. Yeah, it's I'm bored, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they're younger. Yeah, I'm bored or I'm depressed or whatever. Yeah. And um, and also in the, in, in the interaction with them, you can you can really tell when someone is 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 for lack of a better word starved, right? Right. For just human, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. not just human contact, but meaningful, right? Human contact, you know. Yeah. And to be able to have somebody to listen <clears throat> to them and be able to to hear what it is that in some cases. They're not really able to say, yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 it just breaks my heart, especially for men, especially for black men, because we aren't always um, given the permission mm-hmm. to be in that space, <laughs> you know, absolutely to even say, I just want to be loved and appreciated and accepted and understood. Yeah, I mean, I think, like everything, as I've gotten older, I've tried to define things a little bit more. Like, what do you mean by meaningful relationship? So not you as an individual, Mm -hmm. but more so the internal person. So if somebody were to say, you know, how was your weekend and what did you do this weekend? You know, was it an opportunity for you to go and escape some of the things that you're dealing with in your day-to-day life at work Mm -hmm. or at home? So especially as a male, like if we are, you know, say I was a, in, in a relationship or I had a family, right? And right. I'm dealing with financial pressures. I'm dealing with, uh, you know, philosophical um, differences with my wife mm-hmm. over how we should raise our daughter or son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and work's not going as great as it should be going because, yeah, you know, I'm I'm busting my butt and getting things done, and I'm showcasing that I'm I'm I sh- I'm 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 of, I'm am of value to my supervisors. But every time I come and ask for a promotion, it's well, we need to wait on this, and we need to, we need to wait on that, or you need to showcase this or that, and it's not you're not getting that fulfillment, right? So when I do have that weekend time to myself, and it truly is to myself because my wife is off with my son or daughter. And I'm able to kind of get away and go see some of my friends. What is what are the things that I'm really getting out of that? Am I trying to go into that with a with the mindset of I just don't want to think about anything. I just want to escape. Right. Let me go watch football for three hours. Right. Or am I willing to kind of dive into it a little bit more? And within those time frames, when you're actually out watching football with your friends and you're in a safe place because they are your friends, mm-hmm. you know, can you take the time to truly dive into you know, what's going on with yourself to, to, right. to vocalize it. Because one of the things that was really, you know, um, captivating about that conversation within the, the hidden brain piece was mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, you, you when you tend to kind of fall into your own brain and your own cycles, things tend to bottle up. And mm-hmm. in a lot of ways where, where you may you may consider something to be a really big hindrance or something that, that an obstacle that you just never feel like you can overcome – when you take the time to actually talk to someone that you care about, you'll be surprised that they're willing to give you information and, and listen to it as, as opposed to just telling you, hey, man, just, you know, toughen up and just just kind of um, deal with it. Like, you know, you, you'll be fine. Like, you got a great wife. You got kids. You got a great job. You like your job. Like, instead of being dismissive of it, I think, it's, you know, hopefully you do have those kind of friends that are willing to, to kind of listen to you offer some advice and kind of help you realize that 
some of those things that you feel like are this huge obstacle in front of you aren't, aren't actually as, as terrible as they are, or they'll at least help, help you think of other ways to, to find solutions for it. Right. Cause mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like you want to be able to try, find that growth, find those solutions, find ways to work around these, these things that obviously we all deal with throughout life. I mean, life is, it isn't all, you know, roses and cherries and rainbows and, and all of those things. I mean, we, we deal with major, um, uh, bouts of, of, of negativity. We deal with major bouts of, uh, you know, not being sure of ourselves, mm-hmm. self-esteem issues and, you know, pretend to pretend like those things go away after you, you know, graduate high school huh. is a, is a huge, uh, it's a huge misunderstanding and, and assumption about who we are as individuals and as, and especially as men. And I think we need to take that time to really trust and, and, you know, ask, ask for that opportunity to be a sounding board with our friends and, and tell them in turn that it's okay for them to do it as well, because it's gotta be a two way street. It's not, um, it's not something that you can just only take and not give, you know? Um, and, you know, I think in my, in the, in some of the more recent conversations that I've had with some close friends, I've, I've learned a lot about, you know, that they, a lot of them have, have sought, sought help, professional help. And for depression, for, I don't know about depression. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't want to define it as that, but Mm -hmm. just because, because at that point they may not even know where they're at within, you know, that cycle, you know, it's such a, it's such a, um, convoluted topic and expression of feelings and emotions and behavior that I think just to be able to open up the conversation and just let things out, that's the first step. You mm-hmm. know, whether you define it as depression or overstressed or right. whatever, maybe right, aggravated, right. whatever, like you're not going to know that until you at least attempt to take it outside of your own mind yeah. and kind of and like, kind of like, explore like it or, yeah, you got to explore it with other people as much as you think, you know, you may have the best um, approach to things. And, you know, you know, I'll, I'll get this a lot. Like, come on, you're really easy to talk to, you know, you're, you're someone that, I, I can just you just listen really well and I appreciate that, you know, I can come to you and tell you things and you and you'll provide me with direction. You don't you don't tell me like I have to do it this way. You kind of like are very suggestive and careful with how you approach and provide that kind of information and, and for lack of a better word, guidance and advice. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean like I am somebody that can do it for myself. Like it, it takes people from outside of me. Uh, to, to to help with those things and to, to and to give me the best um, th- thought starters to be able right. to find those solutions because you know you just can't you can't only rely on yourself in, in a lot of this as much as you think you may have all those things that's, and that's why you know it's, psychiatrists go to see psychiatrists yeah. I mean they're not that's they're, true you know they're that's not true. they they have their own so that's it's important and I was just thinking you know it's difficult it really it really 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 is difficult. Especially some for somebody who uh, who hasn't already been even prepared to have that language to express those things, but it's also difficult for somebody like me who does like you know finding a way to um, express myself and articulate things that I want to say is not something that I struggle with most of the time, but I do find that. Um, and, and thinking about the piece um, that I, the episode that I published on the uh, podcast called uh, "Just Not Today," I was, you know, on my way from uh, 
home one day and um I was just kind of in a space where I was more or less depressed, but not depressed in the way that I typically define it. Um, but it, it was it was just a feeling of not wanting to to feel about it, not wanting to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even want to talk to myself about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so um, when you don't even want to talk to yourself about it. The last thing you want to do is to talk is talk is to talk to somebody else about it, right? And even and, though that's probably what you need and most, exactly. And then, but but then to even go further than that, why? Why don't I want to talk to anybody about it? Why do I? I don't want to talk to myself about it. And and I was thinking about it the other day, um, as I was listening to that uh, that episode again, and um, what came to me is that. Sometimes it's really stressful to talk to people, especially if they don't listen well. And I I find that um, when people don't listen well and they respond to what you're saying with these kind of dismissive uh, kind of cliche terms mm-hmm. that kind of tell you one or two things you're not even, you're not able to hear me um, or... I can't trust you with this level of vulnerability yeah. that I would have to be in in order to share yeah. with you like this. And so when that 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 I you know sometimes I just I can't risk that. Mm-hmm. I think when you're in a when you're in an emotionally vulnerable place and the more um that is the case, you the less you're going to be willing to do um is, is, is the, the less willing you're gonna be to take a chance, yeah, and 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 open up, yeah, you know what I'm saying, with somebody who has not shown you that they can that that you can you know trust them like that. So you know I I, I get it. Um, like I said, and and it's knowing that for myself, um, and I'm able to find a way whether it's with you know through art as I often do, um, or through uh, having and making a good choice as to which particular friend I think can handle that conversation. Yeah. Uh, either way, I'm able to find a way, but a lot of people don't have I either. You know. Yeah. And I, I I I I can't imagine what that must be like for them because I know for me when I'm when I am able to to express it just feels like breathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just feels like I exhaled. You know. For sure. And everybody needs a space to exhale. Definitely, and um, it, it, it obviously it could literally kill you <laughs> if you don't, you know. So, so please find a space to exhale. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey guys, I'm Joseph, a member of the board, which is what Akil refers to as his community of friends and supporters. We all have something valuable to give, and sometimes it's as simple as giving someone else a reason to live. On behalf of all the board members, I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Akil's success is our success, and we want you to be a part of the community we are building. It's not enough. It's not enough. Because you are the very foundation we must build it on. It's not enough to tell people that they matter. We have to show them. Like my friends showed me. So tell a friend. Leave a review and keep in touch 
We want to hear from you because it all matters just as you do. Do women play a role in shaping a man's idea of masculinity? Well, we pick up the conversation talking about that up next. The, those, I think the, the female role I, I've found is pretty powerful and mm-hmm. how that, um, that, that, that young man um, thinks about what it means to be a man. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, specifically in, within the lens of the, you know, black family or people of color. Right. Uh, you know, we, for a lot of reasons, which that could be an entire podcast on that alone. <laughs> uh, there are many yeah. single black mothers out there with young sons. Right. And from the moment those sons are born, their father is either locked up. Mm-hmm. or has already left the situation mm-hmm. uh whatever the may whatever the causality of that may be this black woman in a lot of times kind of has to wear both hats and they're doing their best to you know be the support system as a mother but they're also trying to create this you know machoism or masculinity within their young sons uh because they don't in a lot of ways, they don't want to see the same thing happen to their sons in the sense of their sons having children and then immediately becoming absent from those children's lives. Right. So they do. It could create a, a, a pretty, um, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, a system where you're you are in a sense you know, putting these undue pressures on, on, on young men to be a certain way, to act a certain way, to be the rock, to do these other things. And, uh, you know, as that young man becomes older and that mother has put so much into, uh, of herself into raising that child and, and being both father and mother and the same person, you know, that, that tends to take their toll on the mother as well. So that when you get to that high school age, that older age, that male son has to kind of be that rock of the family he has to try to, right. to, to be that positive influence and not as, as the emotional as, as you know, mm-hmm. they probably should be. Um, so I don't, you know, I think, uh, from a, the woman's role standpoint, I think it's still, none of these things live in a vacuum. You know, there, there's programming, there's societal pressures, there's things that are, are creating, um, you know, expectations among them. And then also for their young, for their young sons and how that manifests is, you know, in a lot of ways, not, not allowing them to kind of develop their own emotions and allowing them to feel good about talking about their emotions. And they do become very protective, right. Of their mothers. Uh, and, and they have this kind of bravado approach to things. Um, and, you know, everybody's different, how that manifests in their future relationships, whether that's with women, whether that's with men, whether that's their friendships or whatever it may be. Uh, it's something that is underlying and it could, you know, create systems or opportunities for them not to, to really showcase their true selves or in reality, never recognizing or understanding what their true self is because, they've kind of been pressured to to bottle some of this stuff up yeah. and to kind of um not allow it to 
to manifest, you know, outside of the household, right? I mean, that's a big thing in, right. uh, you know, families, especially not to, I hate to generalize ever, but, you know, black families as well is, you know, we, we keep a lot of this stuff behind closed doors, right? We, we don't want the outside world to, to understand and to see it. It's a perception thing, you know, yeah. we are, we are the happy family. There's so many broken families out there. We don't want to be one of one them, of the, yeah. right? But in, but the reality is, Inside those doors, you're more broken than anybody um, that is actually showcasing how yeah. broken they are. And that's that becomes a major issue when it comes to, um, you know, especially younger people growing up in that experience, because what they're taught is to be secretive, is to be uh, untrue uh, when they're out in society. And the reality is they're going to be out in society much more than they're going to be within those, that household. Right. And they're taking that so-called baggage, um, with them into these other experiences, into these other relationships. And Absolutely. in a lot of ways, they're not being able to truly have fulfilling connections, which is a detriment to themselves, but it's also a detriment to the people that they get come across in their, in their life experiences. Yeah. Because somebody has to deal with the wreckage. You know the wreckage from um, these these um, scars, really. Yeah. Uh, the and where regardless of wherever they came from and who is to blame, it it, it doesn't really matter because on the other side of it, um, whoever they interact with is gonna have to deal with that on some level. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I think it, as a society, especially here in America, like we very much like to point fingers and blame something. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's easier to point and blame one or two things than it is to kind of look at the overall, uh, you know, complications and complexities of the human experience. Like yep. we are very complex individuals. As individuals were complex, but mm -hmm. then when you start to add other individuals to that, their experiences create exponential complexities. And that's why it's like, you know, when people say like, well, you know, is it this or that or the other? It's like, well, it can't be just this or that. This is, it's, that's not how, that's not what science teaches yeah. us. That's not what experiences teach it's us. It. It's it's a lot. And, it's, <laughs> and, it, and it is, and it becomes very difficult to unravel. And I think that's another reason why people tend to kind of close themselves off to it and either say, you know, they don't want to talk about it or it was this one thing. And neither of those are, in my opinion, the best approach or, you know, to be able to get to a, a really important conclusion when it comes to understanding this at a deeper level. That, that's why I like shows like um, A Million Little Pieces and um, 13 Reasons on Netflix and some of these other shows like um, uh, I forget the other one now that uh, everybody watches but they speak to the that uh, truth that especially like in 13 Reasons um, where you know the girl commits suicide and so forth and um, I think people who don't understand this series or the fundamental message of the series um, they think it's that she it's it's about blame and it's not about blame. It's more talking about how the entire experience informed her final decision right. to take her life, right? And how all of these different experiences affected that on some level. 
And of course, there's enough responsibility to go around, you know, and uh, people need to be responsible and conscious of the experience that they create for other people. Yeah. You know, that's your part. How and what did you do to either uh, were you part of the solution or were you part of the problem? Right. One of the characters said to somebody else who was asking, well, why and how could he do this and all of this? And um, was it because I did this or was it because I did that? And one of the other guys said, no, it's a million little things, yeah. you know, that all kind of add up. Yep. And, 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 and that's, you know, so don't feel like you did anything specifically because it's, it's all of it. Thanks for sure. It's all of it. And um, I think that's a really, really important kind of thing to understand uh, when, when you're talking to people who might be having that experience. For most of my boyhood, I've listened to men who I had little respect for attempt to share their unsolicited opinions on what a man is or should be. I've seen them suffer in their emotionless prisons they built for each other, where they exchanged their identity along with natural human emotions to personify a well-steeped lie that serves so well to bind and tie them to a limited experience of humanity. And because misery likes company, they are constantly punishing and pursuing those who do not subscribe to their ideology. Theirs is a toxic masculinity. We don't get to choose our family, but as adults, we can choose who we want to be in the world. And as adult aged males, we can redefine what it means to be a man in a way that serves us better than what we were given. I've decided I'm not living in anybody's prison. I'm Akil Johnson. The Poet God. Thank you for listening. <laughs>